The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hello and welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan, shaking off limits. Robinhood and others cutting off trading for some red-hot stock. Shares are collapsing and also halted, and some are beginning to cry foul. As those shares fall, the overall market goes straight up as investors look past this and focus on the end of the pandemic and a brighter day. And as vaccines rolling out at more than one million per day and more on the way, is there really a need for two trillion more in government spending and debt? We're going to ask White House advisor Jared Bernstein, who is here. There is so much to do. And of course, we're going to have much more on this entire Robin Hood soap opera all throughout the hour. So let's get all you need to know on the numbers and the markets, both on the macro and, of course, Dom Chu on all these hot stocks, the AMCs and the GameStops of the world. That's right, Brian, because on any other day, if there wasn't those types of stocks to talk about, I'd be highlighting the fact that we are green across the board right near the session highs for the Dow. It's up 593 right now. At the highs, we were up roughly 632 points. That's important because we lost 633 yesterday. And by the way, I'm going to put a nice check mark here for the Dow and for the S&P 500. Why? Because with the 2% gain in the S&P 500, these two indices are now on pace for their best day of this, yes, albeit young, 2021 trading year. The best day for the market so far on the upside. That's how important it is right now. But as you pointed out, there is so much attention right now being paid to just a handful of stocks out there. And, of course, we look at GameStop, we look at AMC, we look at American Airlines, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond. Many of those on an intraday basis have seen some very stark moves. And just to kind of put things in perspective... This notion right now that we are seeing GameStop, earlier in the session, pre-market, we were as high as around $513 per share at those levels here. $513 in the pre-market highs. Can't even really see them there. At the lows, we were talking closer to $112. That is how wide this range has become. So as we take a look at GameStop, we take a look at um, the, uh, some of the other ones like AMC, Networks, that one, American Airlines, many of these types of stocks are doing incredibly volatile moves in this kind of a trade right now. Look at American Airlines well off the pre-market highs, though still up about 9%. So, Brian, keeping an eye on those, but let's not forget the Dow and the S&P on pace right now for their best day of the year so far. Yes, it's only four weeks old, but a big day for sure. Back over to you. Yeah, but that chart you showed on GameStop is just unbelievable, Dom Chu. What is it, a 400-plus intraday move? On GameStop, 112 to over $500, that's like, what, 350 or 400% swing in a couple of trading hours. That is absolutely insane. Well, we, we, I would also point out this. I noted, because somebody on Twitter noted to me, that over the last couple of days, we've seen what some people call a Six Sigma move. What it means is that we were over six standard deviations away from the average price of that stock for those who don't follow statistics closely, what that means 
is that you're talking about one in like millions in chances of something like that happening. So, yes, a massive move higher for many of these types of stocks. It's worth paying attention to just how significant these moves have been to the up and downside, Brian. Uh, truly remarkable. It's GameStop right there, and GameStop is stopped, apparently, Dom. Thank you very much. So, all right, folks, this is kind of where we kick it off today. Obviously, the story that everybody is talking about, and I don't mean just in the business world, sort of smaller investors versus big hedge funds and billion-dollar trading platforms like Robinhood, which, remember, maybe for the little guy, but it's not the little guy. Robinhood has partnered with Citadel, one of the world's biggest hedge funds, and its founders themselves are indeed billionaires. And there is a lot of pain out there today. Robinhood and some of the other platforms have taken the incredible step of banning certain stocks from trading, effectively cutting people off from being able to sell their stocks. Of course, it has captivated the market's attention, but for most of you non-day traders, longer-term investors, your next guest says, don't worry. This, while interesting, should not impact the broader market. Joining us now is Jonathan Golub. He is chief U.S. equity strategist at Credit Suisse. And, you know, Jonathan, we heard a lot yesterday that part of the market's decline may have simply been that part of you know your team or your client's sat back and said, you know what, we can't trade on a day like today. This is dominating everything. Let's kind of sit back and watch how this plays out. Do you think that maybe not in the long term and in the short term, this is having a, a little effect on market sentiment overall? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it probably is. First of all, let's, let's start with the, the, the fact that in a month from now, we're not going to be talking about this anymore. This speculative frenzy around these names and these wild moves that you're talking about, this is not investing. This is not looking at the fundamentals of a business where you own a portion of that, which is what stocks really are about. Um, and so this is going to go away. If you, um, if you look, though, at the, at the move today, which is a, a, sh- a big day and yesterday, you know, down big, they kind of net against each other and end up being a relatively modest down move for over less than a percent from the all-time highs, which we set earlier this week on Monday. So I, I think that, that there's a lot going on here. It's a lot of noise, and people are making and losing crazy amounts of money. But ultimately, this is, is going to be a, a, small, you know, a, a small blip in what really is going on in the markets over, over a period well, of time. Okay, and by the way, by the way, some of these names were, were halted. Now they're back trading as well. And so you're able to sell when they're paused. Of course, nobody can sell because that affects everybody. If you're a new viewer to CNBC or the markets, if a stock is halted, you can't do anything. But these are certain platforms taking action. I want to make that differentiation clear. But Jonathan, is this a knock at all on market structure, on overall market? Co- I hear what you're saying. This story probably won't exist in six months. But for new investors, they look at this going, you know what? We're new to the market. Now you're going to shut down Robinhood, our platform, or they're going to shut down certain stocks. The game is rigged. Forget it. I was already skeptical of the stock market. Now I know. Forget it. I almost said something else. Forget it. There is yes, a psychology first, aspect first, to this. Yeah. I mean, first you have to look at this. And, and we're, we're getting, listen, the phone is ringing off the, of the hook with our larger institutional clients who are saying, like, exactly the question you're asking, what is this thing about? And I think it really starts with the fact that interest rates are zero. And when interest rates are zero and the government appears to be implying that they're going to backstop the system, which they did by buying corporate debt early on, and the commissions to buy into these stocks has gone to nothing, Mm -hmm. what do we expect to happen? You expect people 
to take on more speculative behavior. And, um, you know, and that's not a good thing. There's a cost to having a zero cost of capital and the government, you know, pouring money into the economy and, and having it slosh around. And so, yeah. um, but, but the big, the long-term story though, is going to be the fact that earnings this season are coming in on like 17% better than estimates. That's a real thing. And the fact that the economy is going to open up in massive, in a massive way in the middle of the year. Yeah. And, and maybe faster than that, based on the pace of vaccinations and everything else. So longer term, you're bullish on the equity markets as we all watch, certainly how this plays out. Jonathan Golub, we appreciate your view. Thanks for rolling with, by the way, the audibles, Jonathan, because there's a lot going on these days. And, and folks, by the way, if you're not sure how Robinhood can offer something for free, just remember, they sell their order flow, that their flow to Citadel and a few others, but really primarily to Citadel. That's how Robinhood makes its money. When something is free, always ask, well, how are you getting paid? And that's kind of the, the way you want to follow it. All right, let's try to tie all of this into the broader economy. Fourth quarter GDP, by the way, grew at a 4% pace. Weekly jobless claims also coming in this morning. Claims did rise less than expected, but the trend line does show that COVID-19 and the lockdowns continue to strain the labor market in a big way. Joining us now to talk about this is a, is a new kid on the block. <laughs> well, he's new to the Biden administration's economic agenda. It is Jared Bernstein, member of the Council of Economic Advisors. And Jared, congrats on the role. Uh, you know, I, I thought about we needed music to everything because I'm a music guy. We should play Back in the Saddle Again by Aerosmith. Uh, <laughs> congratulations getting back on the White House team as well. Now let's fight. Uh, first off, <laughs> do you have a take on this, <laughs> on this GameStop Robin Hood controversy? Does the administration or do you think the administration or the SEC or CFTC, whatever it is, should start to poke around? Well, first of all, I'm trying to digest the idea of being a kid. Uh, it's been a long time, uh, but thank you, Sully. Uh, so when I was a an M when I was a CNBC commentator, uh, I would bite off a question like this and chew it up and throw it back at you. Uh, now I'm part of a big team, and the key point uh, of your question for me is SEC, Security and Exchange Commission. Uh, it is their job, uh, not mine, to comment on market movements, especially daily, especially individual t individual stocks. The SEC is on the case, uh, and they'll be. Uh, reporting in. Uh, in fact, they've already released a statement on this, which uh, I, I commend to, to viewers. I think the important thing from our perspective is that the Biden administration is looking past day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month uh, ups and downs in the stock market. You know, it is not a scorecard for us. And while lots of growth has occurred at the top of the K-shaped recovery, if you will, we still have very significant problems with hunger, evictions, joblessness, wage losses for those in the bottom half of the K. So, you know, yes, we're obviously we're always going to watch GDP and unemployment. But if it's not reaching the bottom half, uh, our work uh, is cut out for us. Do you think one point nine trillion is still the number, given that we are seeing one million vaccines plus rolled out, that there is some optimism we can, quote, reopen maybe a lot faster than some of the more dire estimates out there? Yeah, I think that is the right number. And I think if you sum up what it takes to finally put this virus behind us, uh, both in terms of virus control, testing, tracing, masking, PPEs, but, uh, you know, equally important and especially compelling right now, production and distribution of the vaccine, reopening schools, making sure states and localities have the resources they need while we uh, 
you know, match this down payment that occurred in the December package. Now, we know, for example, that unemployment insurance from the uh, December package peters out in March. There is no estimate I've seen that comes anywhere close to suggesting that that need will be obviated by then. So, right. So this is this is an amply sized package to once and for all hit this thing hard and finally put this in the rearview mirror. This dual crisis, COVID, pandemic, the economy, we've got to wrestle them both together. And I think the package is up to that. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, Jared. But and we all want our kids to be safe. Let's focus on the schools. Something I've been focused. We all, anybody with a kid out there, by the way, is thinking about this. We talk about this 170 billion for schools. We want schools to be safe. But I'm guessing this money is for the next pandemic, because by the time we institute new HVAC systems and buy all the gear starting now, and the checks are cut, it's going to be years from now, is it not? I mean, you can't put new HVAC systems on schools in the next three or four months. I think that ventilation in schools is going to be uh, important within the next three or four or five and six and nine and 10 months. So I, I, I would push back a, a bit on that. Um, look, I, What's I think important the, now, Jared, I'm saying is getting them built. I'm saying that the vaccines were at the worst case scenarios. We're looking at Labor Day probably to get everybody who wants to be vaccinated. Because remember, a big part of the country says they're not going to yeah. do it and you pretty much can't force them. So you're looking at probably Later. summer. So I'm just so. Look, Sully, the way, the way to look at this is is not as if you hit summer and a light switch goes from off to on. This is much more of a dimmer switch play. And thus far, we've kind of taken the advice that's implicit in your comments, which is do something, wait and see. And look, we just have not gotten ahead of this. I think one of the reasons why we had a negative handle on December jobs, one of the reasons why disposable income, while up for the year, was actually down in the last quarter, is because we took a wait-and-see attitude on the December relief package. And we just can't do that anymore. We have to get ahead of this with the magnitudes that we're proposing. I, I Listen, I agree, and we want everyone to be safe and to reopen safely, and everything that's spaced out with the masks on, the CDC report on schools was, was promising. It came out, I think it was two days ago. But here's the thing also, Jared. Uh, when you have these high-level discussions, are, is it yourself? Are there others in the room who say, and this is hard to say, that is horrible and terrible as COVID has been on the death toll in the United States, we also have to consider millions of primarily underprivileged children first graders who may not learn to read because they're zooming in and their parents are essential workers, that there is a second, there's another impact. I mean, are you having those conversations about years from now, making sure this inequality and educational gap is not, because by the way, that also results in earlier fatalities, drug abuse, incarceration, et cetera. You're, you're speaking you know, precisely our language on this. And yes, that those very points are absolutely alive in the rooms that we're talking about. Um, part of this is distinguishing between a relief package, a fiscal bridge to the other side of the crisis, and part of it is addressing the structural inequities that are embedded in some of what you're talking about. But, you know, open, reopening the schools with the Biden plan, which is the deepest and I think most scientifically advised plan to reopen the schools, is absolutely critical to get to the heart of your concern. Every time a kid misses a year in school, especially a young kid, their lifetime earnings are diminished. And you know that that has to be Correct. part of our policy agenda. But the same but but you also we also have to think about the care agenda, child care. We we have yet to stand up 
a reliable, sustainable childcare industry in this country. Now that's part of the relief package in a temporary measure, but it also has to be part, as the president has said, of our recovery package, a more permanent childcare set of interventions, which by the way, are gonna have to be paid for. Yeah, it's an incredibly complicated, scary story, by the way, and, and, and one that has no easy outcome. I think we all admit that, Jared, that there's downsides on every side and it's just impossible. But listen, I, I enjoyed sparring with you. You're back in the saddle again, Jared Bernstein. We're <laughs> going to have many more of these conversations as we go on. First, best to you and all everybody out there, of course. Jared, we'll so, talk again. So nice so thank to, you very to much. hear that from you, Sully. Thank you so much. I'm not sure it is, but I appreciate it anyway, Jared. Thank you very much. All right, take I care. We'll talk to you soon. From the heart. All right. All right. Thank you very much. All right, coming up, Washington has a message for Wall Street. When it comes to the recent frenzy we're seeing, the populace are more powerful than you think. We'll dive into that. Plus, from freezes on federal fossil fuel permits to the Keystone Pipeline and the push for zero-emission cars, the oil industry has a lot riding on the new administration. The XLE... 7% since Biden took office. We'll look at the potential fallout with Dan Pickering coming up. And as we head to break, a look at the biggest winners in the Dow right now. They are Intel, Amex, Disney, Microsoft, and Caterpillar. Overall, markets up 2%. Big day for the Dow of 550. We're back after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back to The Exchange on a very busy Thursday. Republicans in Washington weighing in on the populist uprising over GameStop. And they have a bit of a warning for Wall Street. Eamon Javis wrote a piece on CNBC.com, and he joins us now by more. Eamon, great piece. And by the way, I feel like there's actually a little bit of bipartisan love and work when, Tom, when <laughs> Ted Cruz, I almost said Tom Cruise, when Ted Cruz and AOC agree. What world are we in? Yeah. Fascinating moment on Twitter just now when AOC tweeted out her thoughts about Robin Hood and, and this whole moment. Uh, Ted Cruz agrees. Uh, AOC with a blistering response to Ted Cruz. So I commend to everyone that, that Twitter exchange. Fascinating moment. Uh, and, you know, I've been talking to some veterans of sort of the populist political wars here in Washington uh, who are watching this moment on GameStop with some real fascination and familiarity and talk, to, talk about the similarities between what we're seeing there and the populist movement in politics, whether it's the Trump MAGA moment over the past several years or Occupy Wall Street uh, even before that. A couple of similarities that they see. One is this issue of economic anxiety and real rage out there in society uh, that people are venting, uh, a belief that elites rig the system against the little guy, the technology that equalizes the playing field, both in terms of communications and ability to participate in ways that didn't exist before. The memification of the message here, the ability of some of these messages to go viral and attract a much, much bigger crowd than they otherwise could. 
a sense here of nostalgia for a better time. In the same way MAGA was Make America Great Again, a longing for an earlier era, there is a sense of that, too, among some of the people that I talked to uh, with GameStop and a longing for the stocks of their youth and a pre-COVID era in which things were more normal. There's definitely a distrust of the media, uh, present cl- company absolutely included, a sense that the MSM doesn't get it here. Uh, there's also a willing embrace of risk, an ability to lose money here in order to make a point. So the Washington guys that I talked to have some thoughts on all that. One is uh, there's this mixture of fun and a sort of a moral cause or a political cause here that's very compelling and it's a potent force uh, in terms of the populist uprising. The pool here of people who could participate this in this is probably nearly unlimited. And their message is, understand your critics. If you're someone in the Wall Street establishment, understand what the critics are saying about you and why, and why that might be justified. And also, uh, the advice is, don't think this is simply somebody else's fight. Um, But look, Brian, bottom line here, this populist movement has a big difference, which is that someone is going to take some losses here, uh, all the math would suggest. And those financial losses, that financial pain will probably influence the trajectory of this populist movement in a way that's not entirely analogous with what happened in American politics. But there are definite uh, real echoes here of what we've seen on the political landscape, Brian. Yeah, and, and, and Eamon, by the way, before we get to our guest, I want to be very clear on something with, with this story. There are multiple trails here, right? Because you've got Citadel, and again, I'm not picking on them, and another company called D1 Capital. They have invested in the Robinhood platform or invested in Melvin Capital, which got crushed in that first wave on GameStop. Citadel buys the order flow. They are an investor, effect, or D1 Capital is invested in Robinhood, and D1 got whacked, according to a Bloomberg story, in terms of its performance. So you've got this weird tie-in of billion-dollar hedge funds, bad performance, a Robin Hood connection, and suddenly things get shut down. Not being a conspiracy theorist, but yeah. you're a cybersecurity expert. There's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of common points here, are there not? Yeah, absolutely. And, and all of that sort of fuels the sense of suspicion among the populace who say, wait a second, you know, if a, if a hedge fund takes a loss, it's a big deal and the institutions have to respond. But if, uh, you know, Mr. Man on the Street takes, loses half of his investment, there, there's no response, right? So it feels unfair on its face to a lot of people. Uh, and, and look, we're just at the beginning of this moment. A couple of the political figures I talked to said this feels like the, the thing that happened to Melvin Capital this week feels to them a lot like uh, what happened to Congressman Eric Cantor back in 2014, an establishment Republican leader in Virginia taken out by a Tea Party uh, populist movement. Uh, it was an early indicator of what was happening in that party and, of course, presaged everything that happened in 2016. So the idea here is that Melvin Capital could be the same kind of canary in the coal mine for something much more significant that, could, that we could be building to. And that's why people need to take some time, respect it, understand what's happening and why, uh, and then follow where that goes. All right, Eamon, stay right there. Let's talk more about it for more on some of these wild moves on Wall Street and the Washington connection. Let's bring in William Legate, an entrepreneur and founder and CEO of Predict, a cryptocurrency platform. He's also been closely monitoring the the Reddit thread for years. Uh, William, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, What do you make of this entire situation and how do you think it will or should play out? Yeah, I I think this is a this isn't just a traditional kind of pump and dump, which I feel like a lot of people on your network are characterizing it as. I, I think it's a much broader uh, socioeconomic movement. And a lot of these traders on Wall Street bets, quite frankly, don't care whether or not they make or lose money. 
um, they, you know, the diamond hands over there are wanting to hold long term, and they, they, they don't. They they have a lot of animosity against the the Wall Street types and these people that they feel like uh, are are rigging the system against them. And quite frankly, the optics of stopping, you know, Robinhood earlier today and IBKR stopped uh, the trading of all these so-called, you know, meme stocks. And I think yeah. that's quite frankly criminal. And you, like, well, by the way, William, forget about even forget about even the, the stopping of trading, because that's a different issue. These companies, we can get into that. But from a populist perspective, and Eamon, you could chime in too. Do you think, that, and, and by the way, maybe there's people we know that are guilty of this, that there's this sort of talking down to these retail investors. Let me tell you something, okay? I don't know if you gamble, William or, or Eamon, but I like to play blackjack. And if I'm sitting at a blackjack table and some guy sits down and starts hitting on 17 or 16 every time and losing a bunch of money, you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to turn to the guy and be like, man, you should really do this, or you're not a very good blackjack player, or be careful, the casino always wins, because he probably will and should punch me in the mouth. Right? Do you feel like we talk down? Somebody, if they want to gamble their money, if they want to trade or they want to invest, whatever you want to call it, it's their own business. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was watching a segment earlier um, on your network, and, and one of the, the guests was calling these people, you know, quote unquote, unsophisticated investors and un- uneducated investors and saying they don't have any idea what they're doing. But if that's the case, then why did a you know a twelve billion dollar hedge fund implode basically overnight? Because a lot of people saw that one hundred thirty percent, you know, of all shares were were in a short position. Like it, we had that kind of that kind of leverage and reckless investing from you know hedge funds, and people see that and take uh, take advantage of that. That's that's what the market. That's what the free market is. Um, so I, I think it's extremely hypocritical, and there's there's a spotlight being put on this right now, and I, I think that. Uh, it's uniting kind of both sides of the political spectrum, as you said, both Ted Cruz and and AOC. Um, it's there's not many things they agree on, but this is this is one of them. Eamon, get in here. Yeah, look, I mean, William, you've been following this so carefully. And I thought one of the things that you said when we talked yesterday, which I I found fascinating, was this idea of nostalgia and this idea of leverage and sort of. So walk us through the thinking on these Reddit boards in terms of what the next targets could be of this group. How does this anger manifest itself in terms of specific stocks that people might be trying to take out next? Yeah, I I think there's a general longing and and, uh sense of people wanting to kind of go back to the, the good old days, the simpler times, you know, the, the pre-COVID era, the era when things were maybe financially more, um, you know, stable, I guess you could say. Um, so a lot of a lot of stocks that kind of bring back that nostalgia, things like Nokia, things like, uh, you know, the blockbuster liquidation company, um, th- those types of, of stocks are very nostalgic uh, from a kind of cultural perspective, but also uh, very meme worthy, I would say. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think the traditional Wall Street types don't understand is is the mindset of the retail investor and what matters to them. Because a lot of people on Wall Street, they trade on fundamentals, they'll, tra- they'll trade on technical analysis. You know, those are the things that matter to Wall Street investors. The retail investors have a little bit of a different mindset sometimes. And it's not, I, I think it's wrong to say that their mindset's, you know, uneducated or, or comes from a point of ignorance. It's, it's just a different a different yeah. strategy and way that they approach the market. And uh, right now it's working out pretty well for them. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens. But in terms of um, what yeah. stocks are, 
would be kind of next. Um, I, I've seen a list of basically just the most shorted stocks from hedge funds. Um, there, there's both this kind of this this cultural isn't aspect that, of it. No, I, go we got to go in. But isn't that rich that you got the big Wall Street firms putting out lists of names that might pop from the retail investor who's going after the Wall Street firms when there's money to be made? People are going to step in. It's a great combo. We got to leave it there. We're going to get Eamon Javers. And by the way, Eamon's got a piece up on CNBC.com. I urge everybody to check that out. Good discussion, gentlemen. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Brian. Coming up, it seems tempting, but don't write off the investors behind these short squeezes. There may actually be a method and a strategy to the seeming madness. We'll discuss. Plus, big profits, big sales beat. But not so big outlook. Northrop Grumman reporting their earnings today. The stock, though, continues to struggle down over 20% in the past year. We're going to hear from the CEO in one of her first broadcast interviews ever. Dow, by the way, Soren. Bitcoin's up 810. We're back after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's what's happening at this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says it is, quote, appalling that Republicans have assigned Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene to the Education Committee, even though Greene has questioned whether some, some school shootings actually happened. Assigning her to the Education Committee when she has mocked the killing of little children at Sandy Hook Elementary School, when she has mocked the killing of teenagers in high school at the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School, what could they be thinking? Or is thinking too generous a word for what they might be doing? And just happening a moment ago, Georgia officials say six people have died and many others have been injured due to a liquid nitrogen tank leak at the Prime Pack Foods poultry plant in Gainesville. The northeastern part of that state is still developing story, and we will get the details for you next hour. Brian, back to you. Well, I hate to hear that, and we'll wait for more details, though, yeah. and hopefully they'll turn out for the best. Sue, thank you very much. All right, well, Northrop Grumman reporting a big profit, but a disappointing outlook this morning. The stock is up a little bit, about 2%, but overall, it's down about 20% of the past year. Now, Morgan Brennan had a chance to speak with Northrop Grumman CEO a short while ago. She joins us now with more. Uh, Morgan, what was the tone and topic of the conversation? I think it was one of, if not the first, big broadcast interviews that the CEO has done. <laughs> Yeah, that's right, Brian. Uh, it was a wide-ranging interview. It was a very rare interview for Kathy Warden, who took the helm of Northrop Grumman just two years ago. Northrop delivering a strong quarter, as you just men mentioned. It was in a strong year. That's despite COVID. Looking forward, Warden saying she sees defense budgets flattening, but that the Biden administration is assembling a very experienced team that understands the threat environment. So some similar comments to the ones that Jim Takelet at Lockheed Martin uh, gave to me earlier this week. Northrop is prime for two parts of nuclear triad modernization. She expects the ground-based strategic deterrent, that's the ICBM replacement 
program that's valued at upwards of $85 billion to be reviewed, but believes that the administration will find it underway and performing well on the classified B-21 stealth bomber, echoing recent Air Force comments that it will be ready, uh, it will fly when it's ready. Right now, the Air Force is targeting 2022 with two aircraft under construction. Lastly, on the space portfolio, which grew 18 percent last year, she expects continued strength, not just for defense and national security, which are key parts of that business, but also commercial space with offerings like one that extends the life of satellites in orbit. And Brian, I, I just mentioned that disappointing outlook. This is also a company that recently announced that it's going to sell its IT services business, which I think is the reason for the revision in the outlook on broader sector consolidation. She believes that we're going to continue to see that, including in IT services. Back over to you. All right. Great stuff there. And a big interview there and a very rare one. As you said, Morgan Brennan, good to quote, see you. Take care. (laughs) You too. All right. All right. A huge reversal from yesterday's losses. Stocks having their best day of the year, gaining back all of what they lost and more. The Dow up 632 at the high. It's up 576 now. The S&P up more than 2% as well. And by the way, all 11 of the S&P sectors, they are up and in the green. Financials, communication services, all leading the pack. 11 of 11. My math says that's 100%. But of course, we're also keeping an eye on all those volatile names, the names that we've been talking about for days now. GameStop, AMC, Nokia, and others as well. GameStop down 28%, AMC down 49%. American Airlines getting thrown in the mix as well. That stock is higher. All right, on deck. General Motors says it is going all electric with its cars in 20 years. Will this turn the fossil fuel industry into a fossil? We're going to find out with Dan Pickering. Plus, is GameStop really the sad sack company with no future it's made out to be? Or is it more fundamentally sound than many think? We'll discuss. All right, welcome back. Well, big oil on edge as President Biden unveils his ambitious climate change agenda. The president signing executive orders to suspend oil and gas leasing, new leases, on federal lands. He's also pledging to conserve 30% of federal lands and water by 2030. Corporate America, of course, and investors also pushing for greener investments. GM today saying it plans to exclusively offer electric vehicles within 20 years. Joining us now with more on Biden's energy plan and the investment opportunities around it is Dan Pickering, Chief Investment Officer at Pickering Energy Partners. Dan, and you know, you've been doing this a long time, and I guess so have I. And I think, I know it's going to sound counterintuitive, but sometimes it's darkest before the dawn. With everybody saying, big oil's uninvestable, ESG, sell everything, all the climate change agenda, all this good stuff. Maybe that's the perfect time to start poking around oil and gas stocks. What do you think? Brian, I think we've got to take a look at energy here. Uh, No question that uh, the Biden administration cares about energy and green energy, but that's the future. It's going to take a long time to get there. Energy is the worst group last year or three years ago or five years ago. It's been a terrible spot to be traditional oil and gas companies. It's the best performer so far this year. So it has been kind of darkest before the dawn. I think the day is coming. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the idea. And I understand the, the, the anger and frustration a lot of people have for fossil fuels. But I think to your point, if you look at just rational, reasonable, sort of non-emotional data, and we talk about population growth, and let's say, by the way, 
Let's say the Biden administration opens up immigration, not just the dreamers that are already here, but but new immigration. New immigrants aren't going to come here and buy Tesla Model S's, right? It's, it's, that's the reality. Electric cars right now are still expensive and out of the reach of, of many, many people. The demand for fossil fuels, while going to probably diminish over decades, isn't going to collapse in the next 15 years, is it? Decades is the right way to think about this, Brian. You're right. Electric vehicles are, are 1% of the, the cars on the road right now. And so, you know, the reality is we're going to be using gasoline and a lot of it here in the United States for a very long period of time. The rest of the world's the same story. Developing countries are more, you know, oil and gas intensive. And so uh, this is a process where we're going, to, we're going to need all things green and low carbon, uh, but we're also going to need oil and gas. And so this energy transition, as it's been described, you know, folks would love it to be here in, in a day or a week or a month. It's going to take decades, as you mentioned. Yeah, and the investments that we make in wind and solar, we need all of that. And their price curves have come way down, but it's not like they're fossil fuel absolved either. I mean, you've got to dig up the lithium and you've got to dig this stuff up and transport these huge turbines. It's going to be a slow roll. Very quickly, Dan, um, are there names, I know you guys aren't a trading firm, but are there names that you like, that a pioneer, maybe the original Fang, Diamondback, you think are investable here? Absolutely. So stocks are cheap. They're discounting oil in the 40s. We think oil's going to be in the 50s or 60s. So you mentioned it. We, we love the Permian uh, E&P producers, names like Diamondback Energy, Pioneer, Devon. Um, even Exxon today is a play on, on improving oil prices and that stock's up but I think still has more room to run. So, you know, energy should be a part of a portfolio. Yeah, and when you look at some of these dividend yields, even a lot of investors that might want to hold their nose and, and buy it just because bonds are yielding basically less than nothing with inflation. Dan Pickering with Pickering Energy Partners. Good discussion there, Dan. See you soon. Thanks, Thank you. Brian. All right. Still ahead, some of the high-volatility stocks are taking it on the chin today. Some retail trading platforms put restrictions in place. But the spokes Paul Hickey says there is actually a strategy in some of these wild swings. He'll join us with what he is seeing next. But take a look at Bitcoin like the equity markets. A big bounce-back rally today for DeBit. Back above 30000 Still far from its highs set earlier this year, 42000 But we are up 908 on that Ethereum and others. Ira as well. We're back after this. Well, madness, not just a good band from the 80s, but also the word that many are using to describe the roller coaster ride. It means heavily shorted names. Of course, names you know by heart by now. GameStop, AMC, Koss, a few extra ones that I won't mention to add to the volatility. But that volatility is so intense that retail brokerages like Robinhood have put restrictions in place or even cut off trading altogether for new accounts. But unlike Many of these names, our next guest says there might actually be a method to some of this madness for the run-up in GameStop. For more, let's welcome in our friend Paul Hickey, co-founder, of course, of Bespoke Investment Group. What do you mean? It's a company that had a market cap of like $200 million a couple of months ago, Paul. And I think yesterday you point out, or today it was briefly the biggest company on the Russell 2000. Yeah, so I mean... With, with every elaborate story, there's a, a kernel of truth to it. And I think so what you had with GameStop is its business, um, its existing business is in a lot of trouble. But they were they had a couple of catalysts last year, the upgrade of the consoles with PlayStation and Xbox. 
Then you had later in the year the reopening trade and helping brick and mortar retailers. That provided some a catalyst for the stock. Then you saw Chewy co-founder Ryan Cohen take a 10% stake in the company in November, and then in January he was made uh, he, gave, he was given a board seat with two other former Chewy colleagues. So there were a lot of incremental steps there, which helped to increase interest and give people some hope on what you said was a very low market cap company, which had zero believers on Wall Street. I mean, GameStop had a- Well, not zero, Paul, 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 by the way, Paul, not zero. This is amazing. A lot of people may not realize this. Dr. Michael Burry, yes, the same guy played by Christian Bale in the big short, right, out in California. I don't know if he still owns it, but he actually took a huge stake in Game, GameStop last fall on a, for right. fundamental reasons. He's, he's not exactly a day trader. Right. So you had, you had this, and which, which sort of mind-boggling in, in hindsight is that GameStop had a short interest as a percentage of float of more than 100% for over a year since late 2019. The stock got down to about $3 last spring and it still had that high level of short interest. In, in fact, it went higher. So it was such a crowded trade, and you would have just thought that there would have been some thinking about, um, okay, what could go wrong here? Uh, it, more than 100% of the float is sold short. Um, and then you had these well, other well, that, So that, Paul, that's it, right? That You just nailed it. I mean, everyone, you know, people are like, oh, the retail investors need to be careful. The, the reality is that what about regulation? And I don't want to get into it. SHO, right? You and I have talked about this for years. It's wonky, naked short selling. How in the world are you at 130 to 100 percent or 140 sold short? I understand some of that is synthetic. I won't go into things like Delta One products on Wall Street. There's a lot of things here that take too long to explain on a live show. But the reality is the market, right? Hedge funds, they set themselves up for this. The market allowed something it should not have allowed. Right. And so, I mean, game, you have similar stories with some of these other high short interest stocks, but GameStop was in a league of its own with, with its it more, not only 100% of its float, more than 100% of its shares outstanding were sold short. So, for, you know, so it was completely, you know, everybody on the short side was in on this and um, it, it, it backfired. Yeah. So some of the other stocks, I mean, that people are going after now and that we saw in yesterday, I mean, yesterday was just a really crazy day. The In the Russell 3000, the two deciles of most shorted stocks, so the 600 most shorted stocks were up yesterday. And the, every all other sections of the Russell the 3000 were down. So, um, you know, it was really, yeah. uh, and then today we're seeing the opposite of happening now because people what, can't what buy a these weird, stocks. What a weird day. Yeah, Paul, yeah. we got it. We got it. I'm getting the hard wrap here. I apologize, buddy. Fascinating conversation. We'll have it again. Paul Hickey, thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Well, maybe it's not just stocks that investors should worry about. Citigroup has compiled a list of ETFs that have allocations of at least 3% or more in GameStop, warning they could be on the verge of some trouble. For that name, go to cnbc.com slash pro, sign up, and get the full list. All right, up next. Visa reporting earnings today after the bell with debit card spending outpacing credit combined with continued growth in the digital payment space is plastic out of favor. We'll talk to an analyst next. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Shares of both MasterCard and Visa are higher today. MasterCard after posting an earnings beat 
And Visa ahead of its results after the bell today. But as digital companies like Affirm and PayPal grow more market share, are consumers over plastic or their systems? Not so fast, says Moffat Nathanson Sr. Equity analyst Lisa Ellis. She's got a buy rating on both names in the credit card and digital spaces. Lisa, what's behind the, the bullish thesis? Yeah, so I guess point one, what people often don't realize is that a lot of the spending, if you use a, a, a service like Affirm or Afterpay or PayPal, is actually going over cards. Sometimes it's a debit card instead of a credit card, um, but that underlying funding method is often still a card. And in fact, when you break up these transactions from one big Peloton to lots of installments for that Peloton, those underlying companies actually make more money because they make more money off of lots of smaller transactions instead of one big one. Oh, wow. So like these, these and I don't want to name it, like, like a Klarna, or so, that micro payment type system, that benefits these companies. Yeah, exactly. Uh, for, for the card networks in particular, Visa, MasterCard, um, and then actually PayPal has now launched a version of what this installment lending, what's very popular with Affirm, Klarna, these players, um, very popular with the younger um, millennials, kind of n- newer coming into the, yep. the credit space, aren't quite heavy revolvers on a on a revolving credit card. They're kind of dipping their toe into it. They like these offerings. But what's important is that, you know, you can't escape Visa and MasterCard. They are the rails sitting behind that. You are, you're typically funding that transaction uh, with a debit card. Um, and so they're, you know, they're still sitting in the background uh, yeah. making money off of that transaction. And give us, I guess I'll call it the halftime final trade. 20 seconds. DXC technology. Who? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Totally other end of the spectrum, I'd say. That's more in the value play orientation. But DXC Technologies, IT services company, um, uh, uh, big turnaround situation. New CEO Mike Salvino doing a fantastic job there. Uh, uh, you know, turning around, you know, a company that yep. was in dire straits. They're very heavily tied to this data center outsourcing services that are in sort of structural decline. Um, but he has done a really nice job sort of shifting that company toward more of these digital Good. services and cloud migration. We like that one a lot. That's yep. a value play, uh, you know, a lot of upside from here. There. And just like halftime, sometimes you got to jump right there. Lisa Ellis, good stuff. Thank you very much. Sorry to lob that at you at the end. Thanks, Folks, we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.